This is episode 253 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are 9 Tips for Preparedness at the Office and Send a Fast and Effective SOS, Two Simple DIY Techniques. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. And if you do feel you are receiving value from our podcast, we appreciate your kind reviews. Hey guys, do you know what today is? Today is Monday, February 19th, and it is the one-year anniversary of the Prepper Website Podcast. So uh, for many of you, you know that I record the podcast on the night before. So in reality, it is Sunday, February 18th, but I know that many of you are going to be listening to this tomorrow morning on your way to work or at some point tomorrow. And so I just wanted to point that out. So if you're listening to this on February 19th, 2018. It has been one year since our very first episode. So very, very excited. Uh, we're at, uh, like I said earlier, 253 episodes and uh, just really enjoy the ability to come on the podcast and be able to do these articles for you, these audible versions of articles. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've been able to meet a lot of people online that normally I haven't uh, would have met just through Prepper website, uh, the website PrepperWebsite.com. And uh, so just uh, really, really uh, enjoying it, still enjoying it. Uh, there's some, some, there are times when it's a really long evening, go to sleep really late, wake up really early, but uh, still enjoying it. So, uh, hey, thanks so much for being a part of it. I know there's a lot of you that have been listening from the, from the very beginning. And I know there's a lot of you that are new uh, because you've hit us on iTunes or some other podcast network out there. And so uh, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. So uh, let's go ahead and jump right into our first article. Our first article comes to us from ModernSurvivalReliance.com. And uh, the title is Nine Tips for Preparedness at the Office. This actually came up earlier in the Facebook group. Uh, someone dropped a, someone actually dropped a comment that triggered my thinking on this. And so I was actually, it's kind of funny, uh, Saturday I went to go get a haircut and uh, there were some people in line before me. And so I just started jotting down some lines. And by the time I knew it, I had an article almost finished uh, just by, by typing it out on my phone. Uh, on this uh, idea of preparedness for businesses and, and, and those kinds of things. But this is very, so this is more coming from uh, you're an employee and you're able to prepare there at the office and some things that you can put in place. I know there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of you that do live on homesteads, a lot of you that do uh, live out in rural settings. And there's a lot of you who listen to the podcast who are, you know, you live in suburban areas, you live in the city, you have nine to five jobs, and this article really pertains to you, right? Gives you a lot of tips uh, for preparedness and for preparedness advice uh, as you as you work in the office. So uh, let's go ahead and get started on this one. For those with typical office nine to five jobs, you likely spend one third of your life and nearly one half of your waking life at the office. 
This is a huge amount of your time spent away from your home and also away from any preparedness supplies you stocked at home. Thinking about your office situation should be a part of your preparedness plan. Number one, first aid kit. Paper cuts, allergies, and headaches still occur at the office. Keep a basic first aid kit with common medications available for your personal use. I know my office has a first aid kit in the common area, but I am not sure how often that is restocked. A small desk drawer can serve as a preparedness supply drawer, and a first aid kit is a great first addition. There are small pre-made first aid kits available like this one, or you can make your own from your local pharmacy. Three places for a first aid kit. So there's another article here, three places for a first aid kit. Uh, And I would recommend that you do have uh, a first aid kit. So, you know, you might want to buy some of those pre-made ones for your for your vehicle and just put it under the seat and you have it there. You know, recently I have made some mini Altoid kits to put in uh, our vehicle. So I gave one to everyone who has a vehicle and like, hey, put this somewhere in your console or, or, or somewhere right in your in your vehicle. So you have them available. Uh, I keep one in my backpack uh, with me at all times. I keep one, uh, you know, in my in my office. So if I if I need whatever you need, like, you know, first aid things, if I need some, you know, right now in Houston, the weather is so crazy that the allergies just seem to, to really grab a hold of uh, of you. And so if you need some allergy medicine or something like that, and it, that's even on top of sometimes even diffusing. Like in the office, I diffuse uh, an allergy blend. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, just having that, I think, is just really smart to have. And uh, something compact is always uh, really, really great. And so I think this is some great ideas here already starting out with this first aid kit. Okay, number two is sanitation. In my office, we have common equipment such as computers, printers, and our safes. This means that we all touch the same surfaces routinely. If someone in the office gets a cold, chances are others will too. The cleaning wet wipes, alcohol, or bleach base can remove the flu from keyboards and common desk surfaces. I sure don't want to be that crazy lady who cleans doorknobs, but if someone is sick or I am, I will definitely wipe down a keyboard before I touch it. I keep my office well stocked with a container of cleaning wipes, which is especially important during flu season. And I really do believe that that is uh, even even more so right now during our flu season that that we that we have. Uh, when I was in, when I was on the campus, I mean, you can just imagine with all the kids. There are parents out there, and it just we it just boggles the mind that will give their kids. Uh, you know, the kids are running temperature, but they have no child care or anything like that. And they have important meetings at work or whatever, or they don't want to uh, miss work because, you know, their, their pay or whatever. So they give them some Tylenol, they send them to school. And then, uh, you know, the, the fever is oh, it, it kept in check for a couple of hours and then it comes back. And in the meantime, they're infecting everyone, right? Um, I was very, very careful during flu season uh, when I knew people were starting to get sick. I would just wash my hands uh, all the time and I would use uh, sanitizer if I couldn't. We had sanitizer all over the place. So we would buy it in bulk for the for the campus and then we would let uh, teachers fill up their individual uh, their individual dispensers. Sometimes my hands were so dry that when I would hit it with hand sanitizer, uh, it would it would just it would sting because it, it was, you know, they cracked so much because I would uh, wash them so often. Uh, but there was, uh, there was one door, you know, I know that she said here, I don't want to be like that crazy lady, but you know what? Some people just don't think about it. 
uh, and and they are sick and they're touching things that, like doorknobs. And so there was one door that uh, would have been like a faster route to my office. But there were many many times where I took uh, just uh, you know the the extra long route so that I wouldn't have to touch the doorknob uh, because I just didn't want to get sick. I, could, I can't afford to get sick. I don't I don't want to do that. You know, I don't have time for that. And uh, you know, there's people just like there are parents who send students. There are adults out there as well who go to work sick, and you know they they don't want to let their boss down. They don't want to uh, you know they don't want to let their colleagues down. They have important things going on when they go to work sick, and they wind up infecting everybody. And then so it goes throughout the whole uh, the whole office, and then it winds up going. They take it home to their kids, and their kids get it, and it's just vicious cycle. So really, if you if you are a business owner and you're listening to this, or you're a manager and you're listening to this, you really, you know, especially during this time where flu season is really bad, you really need to let your people have that permission. And, and you might need to verbalize it and just say, look, hey, if you are sick, stay home. Don't come, don't come to work and get everyone sick. Stay home and, and get better. And you know, they might need to hear that from you, right? So sanitation is a big deal. And uh, I know some people would say, you know, the cleaning wipes. You can do your own kind of stuff, but you know when you're in an office and and uh, you know you're looking for convenience and stuff like that, you might want to have some of those cleaning wipes available to you. You might want to have some Lysol available to you as well. All right, so number three is food and water. Food and water are the basic components of life, and you spend a large part of your life at the office. I prefer not to eat in my cafeteria, always bringing my lunch from home. In addition, I keep protein bars, my favorite, and extra bottled water in my office. If there was ever an issue with the office water supply or I lose my lunch, I will have food to give me the energy to get home. You could keep oatmeal, jerky, snacks, nuts, or peanut butter and crackers. But if I keep food in my office, I will eat it. I hear this response many times to which one of my coworkers provided the solution. Keep food you don't really like but would eat in an emergency. I also keep granola bars that I am not a fan of, but will eat if desperate. This way, I will only eat them if I am truly hungry and not just bored. Have good shoes is number four. I cannot stand for wearing high heels every day to work, and I pity the woman whose office place demands it. I believe good shoes are the foundation of which the rest of the body relies on, and you need a firm foundation. Whether running between meetings, avoiding construction debris in the hallway, or walking between buildings outside. I believe comfortable and protective shoes should be worn by all. In the extreme case of an active shooter or active threat in your office, good shoes are a must when running from danger. I wear Merrill hiking shoes to work. They come in the business casual, all black, but provide support. I understand they aren't for everyone, but between my standing desk, walking upstairs, and across our large campus, I find good shoes are a must. Luckily for me, most of my coworkers agree and wear similarly sensible shoes, making it business appropriate. Number five is basic self-defense. In many workplaces, guns and weapons are not allowed. Take a look at your workplace guidelines before packing your purse or pockets for the new job. Perhaps a small knife like mine in your purse would suffice to keep you feeling safe and protected. Taking a martial arts class could boost your confidence in being able to defend yourself when you are at work and have no available weapons. While rare, workplace violence happens and it's best to know your options and be comfortable using them. Take note of items in your office that could be used as a weapon if the circumstances arose. And also, I just think that it's good to do a rundown of your 
you know, of your office building and like, you know, what would you do if an active shooter or someone came in or someone wanting to do violence came in from this area, what would you do? If someone came in from the other area, what would you do? And just, you know, your, your office might have a plan. They might not, but you need to have a plan for yourself of what you would do. Uh, and number six talks a little bit about that. Number six is run, hide, fight. My office runs training sessions open to all staff on preparing for an active shooter or active threat situation. During the sessions, they cover our office's specific protocols, but also give guidance to the staff. Ask if your office has a plan in place if something were to happen. Also, check out this video below of surviving an active shooter or active threat situation in your office. So run if you can, hide if you can't, fight for your life. So there is a video here uh, on uh, workplace uh, surviving an active shooter in, in the workplace there. And there's also, you know, in the current climate that we are in and with what's happened in Florida, um, there is also one along these lines uh, for school uh, and campuses. I just can't remember exactly where it was. I know that I've seen it before. All right. So uh, number seven is know your exits. In primary and secondary schools, we did drills at the time for what to do in a fire. We walk calmly from the classroom to the nearest exit and line up in the parking lot. When I was a kid, it seemed like we did drills once a month. At my office, we do drills once every two years or so, it seems. If you have never done a fire drill at your workplace, take a moment to think of your exit options. Talk to your security about the procedures you should follow as to where to go if you are unsure. One thing that I am quick to tell new employees is that in our office and laboratories, the fire alarm is also the toxic gas alarm. So if even you don't see a fire, don't take your time evacuating the office as you don't know the danger it is alerting for. Number five is multiple routes home. After evacuating the building, if you plan to leave the vicinity, no multiple routes home. If your common commuting route is blocked or congested, it's good to know a way around the traffic without having to fumble with a GPS to navigate home. And number nine is a get home bag. Consider keeping a lightweight get-home bag in your office or car. This is the bag you can easily carry for miles that contains just enough supplies to get you home. It is not, a big, it is not as big as a 72-hour bag, although they look very similar. What it contains specifically will depend on your expected commute and what conditions you expect to face. It could include portable food, water, flashlight, a simple weapon, maybe an extra pair of socks, and a rain jacket. It could also include a small first aid kit, a dust mask or N95, cash, and a map of the local area. See Get Home Bags and Four Steps to Building a 72-Hour Bag for full description and details. And so uh, I've talked about that before in the past. Uh, I think you can keep one in your, uh, you know, in, your, in your vehicle you know, very easily. If you keep food and water, you could have like a separate pack. You know, where your get home bag stays uh, maybe like underneath a seat or in your trunk or, or something along those lines. But you're just taking the food and water with you uh, just depending on the season and where you live. You know, in Houston, I don't want during the summertime, I don't want to leave food and water inside of a, a hot car that when it's 100 degrees outside, it's 120 plus in, in the car, in the vehicle, right? And so you can have a, a little... Uh, you know, you can compartmentalize your get home bag or, you know, your uh, your Bob, your Bob or any other kind of kit and just take the food and water with you inside. Right. You can do that. All right. So in conclusion, a few simple steps today can make your office a safe and prepared place to spend your time. Whether it is a power outage, a paper cut or a fire alarm, 
you will be well prepared to face the challenge. If you can't keep supplies in your job building, hopefully you can store the get-home bag and your first aid kit in your car. Finally, rest well, knowing you are prepared for emergencies at work. So this article has other links uh, to it. And so if you are interested in going to visit, of course, I always link to them in the show notes and you can go check it out over at modernselfreliance.com. There are some of these links uh, linked to other articles that will help to support the the things that were talked about here. All right. So again, modernselfreliance.com. Our next article comes to us from survivalpedia.com. And it really is a topic that I've never seen before, I guess, on on Prepper website. And so I thought it would be interesting to go ahead and provide it here on the podcast. Um, It's entitled, Send a Fast and Effective SOS, Two Simple DIY Techniques. Uh, And so, you know, these are very interesting here. So a lot of the times if you're lost, you know, you want to make sure that you have the ability to signal and so people can signal you and, you know, you want to have a signaling mirror. You want to know how to build a big fire that creates smoke so people can see it. But sometimes you are in a situation where those two things will not work. And so he covers these. And that's what I'm saying. I've never seen I've, I've done signaling before, but I've never seen uh, what this topic is going to cover here. So I thought it was very interesting. And so if you ever find yourself in this kind of situation, uh, having this knowledge would be good. So uh, let's go ahead and read this one. Again, this is uh, Send a Fast and Effective SOS, Two Simple DIY Techniques from Survivalpedia.com. Here we go. Some of you are surely thinking, Cash is writing about kites. He's lost it for sure this time. But don't give up reading because you might miss some life-saving tricks. There are environments where traditional last-mile signal devices are less effective. Briefly, Traditional last mile signals can be impossible to see through a forest canopy or in a small watercraft in rough seas. Kites are easy to make from supplies you probably have in your survival kit. MRE heaters are a source of hydrogen gas and can be used to turn a lightweight bivy sack into a signal balloon. So disclaimer, like many survival projects, this one can be dangerous. Specifically, it involves pointy objects. MRE heaters, or scalding hot water, and hydrogen gas, which is both caustic and explosive. So if you decide to construct a balloon, please use sound judgment and keep it away from any source of flame. So sorry, no smoking. And do not mix the hot air and hydrogen balloon designs, or you may pay dearly for the oversight. So jungle, tropical, and coastal rainforest environments. On my last trip to Brazil, I noticed that many traditional last-mile visual signaling devices, such as signal mirrors, would not have worked well under the jungle canopy, even if you climbed a tree or managed to find a clearing. Climbing a hill would be about your only shot with a mirror, but there are multiple problems with that. First, you cannot see hills and mountains easily in dense jungle, so you do not know if you are walking up a hill or a mountain. Second, Traveling uphill contravenes traditional survival wisdom unless you have a working radio. Lastly, even if you are successful, unless you are signaling to aircraft or someone who is somehow not underneath the canopy, nobody will be able to see your signals. A maritime environment. Last spring, I had the privilege of interviewing Jose Salvador Alvaringa, who survived a drift at sea for an incredible 428 days. Salvador drifted from the west coast of Mexico to the Marshall Islands of north, north of Australia. 
During his drift, he saw many container ships as he drifted through shipping lanes, but with only a mirror, he could not attract their attention. On one maddening occasion, he was close enough to see them fishing off the back of the container vessel, and he tried to get their attention, but they just waved, kept on fishing, and motored right on by. Visual signals do not work well in rough seas where rafts and small boats that lack a tall mast or superstructures are only momentarily visible as they crest a wave and then disappear back in the trough. Another issue with craft that are low to the water is that the distance at which they fall below the horizon is much shorter than it would be for a taller craft. In a maritime environment, a kite or balloon flying high above your raft could be seen at far greater distances, which is a key advantage when you are trying to be found and communicate that you are in a distress in the vast expanse of the ocean. In any case, when lost at sea, constructing a radar reflector and getting it up as high as you can is time and resources well spent since so many vessels have radar. If you do not have a radar reflector, one can be constructed by creating three slotted mylar covered wire or cardboard frames one for each dimension and assembling them to radiate from a central point along each axis so kites a kite flown in the middle of nowhere is going to create the same curiosity factor as a balloon and one that is a signal orange is immediately identifiable as a distress signal write sos on it in large contrasting letters and your message will be clear about all you could do from here is to add some retroreflective or IR reflective tape to it or a small strobe such as an ape house. Just keep in mind that a wet string could conduct electricity from a lightning strike. All you need is a breeze and someone to see the kite and you are in business. A kite can be flown for many hours and is reusable and field repairable. So how to build a kite? Building a kite is easy. And so there is a, a graphic here. Uh, that you can you can see where they kind of put it together, um, but there's uh, also some you know instructions here, bulleted instructions. Form a lowercase t with two lightweight sticks or similar suitable material. The central stick or spine should be one fifth longer than the cross member. Lash them together securely in the T shape. Run cordage between the members to create the characteristic diamond shape of a kite, notching the ends of the stick so the thread stays put. Lay the kite shape on a signal orange emergency blanket and draw a diamond shape a couple of inches larger than the kite in each direction. Fold the sides around the frame and secure them 100 with 100 mile per hour tape so that the blanket is taut on the frame. Attach a line to the intersection of the two sticks. Poke a small hole in the material and pass the line through the hole. The line should match the length of the cross members. Remember, thread from the top and both sides of the T to the tip of that string. This point is where the line will be attached. Cut a strip of fabric or mylar for the tail that is six times the length of the spine. Feed the tail between the fabric and spine at the bottom of the kite and tie it at the midpoint forming a double tail. If all you have is mylar and the tail is too light, add length and tie bows in to create more drag. Write SOS on the kite in bold block letters, attach the line. So supplies useful for building a kite. I'm going to stick to supplies carried in survival kits or which can likely be procured from the environment. A signal orange emergency blanket. I prefer to carry aluminized polyethylene emergency blankets because mylar is noisier and more fragile. 
but this is an application where mylar may be superior since it is extremely lightweight. If you do not have an emergency blanket, a lightweight trash bag or emergency poncho would probably also work. Two lightweight sticks to form the frame of the kite. Kevlar thread, 60 to 80 pound test. This will be used to tie the kite to the framework and as a kite line. I carry all of Kevlar thread in this test range because it is so multi-use. But an inner nylon strand of paracord would work as well. Unfortunately, a long length of paracord takes up more space than survivalists are willing to commit to pocket survival kits, so you may have to tie multiple inner strands together if paracord is what you prefer to carry. A Sharpie Mini A Sharpie Mini is small but can draw large block letters with little effort and the felt tip is easier on the paper-thin material the kite is made of. Knife or scissors to cut the fabric, string, sticks, and tail and notch the sticks and 100 mile per hour tape to secure the fabric to itself when stretched tight across the frame. So what about balloons? Unless you are in a part of the world that floats balloons in the middle of nowhere, balloons can be effective signals. Sure, they are not effective in windy weather, but kites, and I think that it's supposed to say balloons there. So I'm going to, I'm going to substitute balloons there, but balloons are as long as the wind is not blowing too hard and anything out of the ordinary draws curiosity, especially out in the middle of nowhere. I have stumbled upon a couple of crashed balloons in my adventures. They turned out to have been lifted by school kids, but even on the ground on both occasions, the reflective mylar caught my eye and made me curious enough to hike out to them and send the tags back to the kids. I imagine they were so surprised. Surface to air recovery systems or stars and skyhook. Balloons in the military have a long and storied history, from artillery observation balloons to signaling balloons to surface-to-air recovery systems. One of my mentors in survival was Lieutenant Colonel Charles Chuck Jurgensen, who served with 1st SFOD Delta or Delta Force. I imagine he was also a CIA operative, judging by where he was and details of some of the many war stories he related to me over the years, but he never suggested that he worked for the CIA. The man operated in some far-flung parts of the world and did some crazy things, and one of them was using a surface-to-air recovery system. The system was called the Fulton Surface-to-Air Recovery System, or STARS, in development and named Skyhook once it was ready for operational use and sounds like something right out of James Bond movie. In fact, Skyhook was featured in Thunderball, The Green Berets, and Black Knight. So uh, there is a video here of uh, James Bond, and that's the... The Sean Connery, uh, you know, Thunderball, Thunderball uh, movie, and uh, kind of puts, uh, I guess, Skyhook in motion, so you can check it out. And and uh, man, that would be kind of scary, though. <laughs> I would think uh, a rescue package is airdropped to the operator, who dons a harness and sends a line up into the air on a helium balloon. Then a spe- specially outfitted C-130 with a V-shaped yoke on the front of the plane snags the line which is anchored to the plane and fed into a winch. The cargo, in this case Chuck, attached to the line is yanked up into the air and reeled into the back of the aircraft as it flies over. It takes 5-6 to six minutes to reel you in as you are dragged through the air behind the plane at 125 miles per hour. Chuck said it was a wild ride. Well, his actual words were more along the lines of, you couldn't have driven a toothpick up my blank with a sledgehammer. What about commercial products? BCB. I've seen a couple of commercial signaling balloons over the years. One is the commercially available BCB product called the Location Marker Balloon. 
The LMB was designed for military operations in jungle terrain and weighs less than 2 pounds, which seems heavy for a balloon, but that is a military gear for you. This may be hard for some of my younger readers to appreciate, but it is nice to have signal devices that do not rely on batteries. The balloon is over a meter across and is radar reflective. It is inflated with an with an included helium cylinder and can carry chemical light sticks of which two are included. The LMB can be seen from 10 miles and is visible at night if IR chemical lights and night vision goggles are used. Since it floats above the jungle canopy, it should not be visible to enemy ground forces without the aid of air support. The balloon can also lift a radio antenna of up to 80 grams above the canopy. Rescue me balloon. It appears a company is trying to bring a product to market that incorporates a signal strobe called the Rescue Me Balloon, but I see that crowdfunding attempts have not been successful yet. Perhaps they will be for sale in the future. So field expedient signal balloons. When I was a kid, I built a balloon out of paper of a paper plate, some birthday candles, pens, string, and tape. Even though I launched in Arizona, where it can be difficult to get lift with only hot air, it gained altitude to about double the height of the power lines and made a little over half a block distance before it crashed into a power line, caught fire, and fell into a neighbor's yard. Not necessarily in that order. While the design was affectionately named the Hindenburg was not a success on all counts, it definitely attracted some attention, which is the point of signaling. You could build this design if that is all you had materials for, but I'm going to test another design that will hopefully be more reusable and stay aloft a lot longer. I intend to use materials I carry in my survival kit like the kit, like the kite design, so I'll see if I can't fill an orange bevy sack with hydrogen gas to generate the hydrogen I'll use MRE heaters. If I can manage to capture the hydrogen without capturing too much water vapor, it should float, but we'll see. In theory, it should work because a single MRE heater can put out up to 10 liters of hydrogen. I have never heard of anyone attempting this, but I would like to put it to the test. Survival is the king of all DIY pursuits, so there is only one way to find out. Signal balloons should be tethered so they can indicate your location. An improvised balloon may not indicate your location for a long time, but many solutions to survival problems are less than ideal, but still end up getting the job done. So survival kit supplies useful for building an improvised signal balloon. A signal orange bivy sack and candles, a heat source. Some folks carry trick wind resistant birthday candles in survival kits. I carry small candles that are only slightly larger than birthday candles and made of beeswax, which has many survival related uses. I also carry a multi-wick candle in a tin in cold weather, which I will use to heat the air inside the bag before launch. This way, the smaller candles only need to keep the air hot. I will experiment with heating the air and reusing the balloon versus sending up a heat source. Aluminum sheeting. Aluminum foil will serve as a lightweight basket to carry the candles, which will be our heat source. I carry thick aluminum sheeting to fold into a pot, use as a reflector, and many other uses, but will use heavy-duty aluminum foil here since it is cheaper and lighter. Leader wire. A loop of thin wire or light grass may be useful to hold the wall of the balloon away from the heat source. I carry 60-pound test, a 7-strand, stainless steel, not knottable, coated leader wire, but any lightweight wire that can hold a shape would work. Kevlar thread, 60-80-pound to 80 pound test. This will be used as a guide line to guide the balloon past branches and suspend the basket from the balloon. A Sharpie Mini. 
as noted under kites. 100 mile per hour tape. 100 mile per hour tape will attach threads to the balloon to suspend the basket. Paper. Include a note on water-resistant paper and include the date, your position, name, and contact information. Balloons are typically a one-shot deal and sometimes are not found for a long time, so you would not want to trigger a search long after you have been found or recovered yourself on your own if the guy line breaks or gets burned through. MRE heaters. Helium is not the only lighter than air gas out there, and since MRE heaters produce hydrogen gas, and I carry one in my survival kit for a number of reasons, I will see how many I would need to float a balloon. Surgical tubing. As predicted, not only was steam a problem, but so was the heat generated by the MRE heaters, so I had to capture the hydrogen in a drum liner attached to the bivy with surgical tubing which I pinched off until the contents of the trash bag was sufficiently cool than the water heater condensed back into water, after which I unpinched the tubing and transferred the gas. I used aluminum foil to protect the drum liner from the MRE heaters and to introduce the water to the MRE heaters without any gas escaping. I sealed an MRE hot beverage bag inside the drum liner and introduced the water after evacuating the air and sealing everything up tight. I carry surgical tubing to access water and crevices, attach it to my pin to make a bellow tube so I don't inhale smoke when stoking my fire, to propel my fling spear, to drive otter boards as a backup tourniquet, pressure dressing, and many other uses. A drum liner. See above. Common survival kit item with near unlimited uses. MRE hot beverage bag. See above. I modify MRE hot beverage bags with 100 uh, mile power tape and grommets and use them for treating water by various methods carrying water as waterproof wound dressings floats bobbers hot water bottles and much more aluminum foil see above the section on kites so i think it's just like one of the things and that's the end of the article one of the things i would have loved to have seen because it sounds like he got it up and running would picture would, would be pictures or videos of what it looked like um, but, you know, I think that's very interesting. Uh, to be honest, I have never dealt with MRE heaters before. Um, all the MREs that I, I remember eating the old sea rations. I mean, that's what we had. And I've just never purchased MREs uh, to, to have here uh, in my survival stash. I've always gone the, you know, the... The, the number 10 cans or, or just a regular canned food or, or, or five gallon mylar, you know, or five, five gallon buckets with mylar bags and O2 sensors. So I really don't know what that would look like as far as what he's saying. So, uh, really having some video would have been great or some pictures would have been really great on this because I think that's very, very interesting. You know, and it just, this article really speaks to the fact of just being, uh, being just flexible and being able to critically think through situations. You know, when you find yourself in a survival situation, being able to make something like a kite with just things that you find. I mean, maybe you find some kind of plastic around, you know, and you have some, some, uh, uh, you find some string or you find some, or you have some paracord with you and you're able to, to do something, something like this. You know, one of the things in education is we talk about schema a lot of the times. And schema is uh, your understanding, your your knowledge base, what you know. So sometimes you might not even have knowledge of a certain topic, but just the fact that you maybe hear uh, something along these lines 
would then you have this now in your schema you have this in your mind you have this in your knowledge base right and you might not be you know like you might not know how to build a kite you might not but you have you have some kind of reference form now because you listen to the podcast because you listen to this article um, you have this now as part of your schema and so this would help you in a situation where you are uh, where you are lost in a situation where you are in a survival or preparedness, you know, uh, situation, you're able to critically think and you're able to draw back on it. You know what? Hey, I remember hearing an article about a kite. Okay. So you might not remember all the, the, the things that were talked about, all the supply lists and all that kind of stuff, but you might start looking around. Can I make a kite right out of what I, what I have here or, or what can, what else can I do in order to get, a signal out there somewhere, you know, there, there, I remember an article on a kite and on a balloon. Is there anything else that I can do to, to get, you know, a, a signal out there if I am lost? So, uh, you know, this article is, is important. So you have that, but again, I, I'm, I say all that. I lo- would have loved to have had, uh, some, some pictures or even a video, you know, on, on how this would have worked. Uh, because I think a lot of people would have uh, really enjoyed looking at that. So again, that's over at survivalpedia.com. It's always interesting when people come up with with new ideas on being able to, uh, you know, new ideas in in ways to uh, things to use for survival and and preparedness. So uh, good article there. There's uh, you know some cool things here that you can come and check out. Uh, definitely the video on Thunder on Thunderball. If you haven't seen that one, I just uh, I stopped to watch that one for a while. It's been a long time. I don't even remember what that movie was about, uh, but uh, that was interesting there. And then uh, the graphic here on just making a kite uh, that might be something you might want to check out here. It's it's uh, you know it, it's a nice graphic here. All right, guys. So uh, that's it for episode two hundred and fifty three of the Prepper Website Podcast. Thanks for starting your week off with us, right? And uh, thanks for celebrating uh, a little bit here, our first anniversary. We look forward to to more of these. So, uh, you know, we just really appreciate that. If you are not a part, if you've been listening, maybe you've been listening for a year, you're not a part of the the Prepper website Facebook group, we'd love for you to come uh, be a part of that. I have links on the show notes and also on the website uh, that you can click on and just request to join and we'll get you in there and uh, you know, love to have you there. And if you uh, if you haven't, I'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. I always love to hear from uh, listeners out there. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.